0: Welcome to Budget Watchdog, all federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed in Washington. Brought to you by taxpayers for common sense.
1: And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF. TCS president, Steve Ellis.
0: Welcome to all American taxpayers seeking common sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's taxpayers for common sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan, budget watchdog based in Washington, DC. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are on the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. And it is on that very sentiment that we will start the budget watchdog AF podcast today. Listeners, I hope you all had a great Independence Day holiday. I certainly did. Happy 245th birthday, America. And yet, I'm sad to report that my highly sensitive budget watchdog ears are ringing with the sound of a phrase that should strike fear in the hearts of all taxpayers, extra money. What's extra money, you ask? Politicians of every stripe on both sides of the aisle are suddenly invoking this concept of extra money as a serious way to pay for new legislative priorities. Here to help us get to the bottom of this mystery of the extra money is TCS senior policy analyst Josh, no pennies in his loafers, Sewell. Well, these days, it may be no loafers at all. Josh, welcome back to the Budget Watchdog AF. Hey, thanks,
1: Steve. No shoes, no shirt, no problem in the podcast world.
0: (laughs) All right, let's get into it. Josh, lawmakers at both ends of the Pennsylvania Avenue are suddenly tucking their napkins into their shirts and getting ready to sop up all that extra money from COVID relief with a nice big crust of the new infrastructure loaf. Is this a taxpayer nightmare come true?
1: Well, first, Steve, podcast listeners may be wondering where Washington thinks this extra cash, this gravy is coming from. It's coming from you. This is your money. This is our money. This is taxpayer money. In responding to COVID-19, the federal government made some extraordinary changes. It was a crisis. And so we opened the purse strings and we spent trillions of dollars meted out through various programs, some of them large pots of cash, some of them enormous pots of cash. And we're at this point now where hundreds of billions of it is left unspent. There's leftover cash burning a hole in lawmakers' pockets.
0: What should be done to make sure that this money isn't going to be wasted and spent responsibly?
1: Well, there's a number of principles lawmakers need to follow when responding to an actual crisis. Five basic principles. Do what's necessary, not what's advantageous. And that means you solve the crisis. You don't solve every problem or treat it as a chance to grant legislative wish lists. Second is deficits still matter in the long run. This is 100% borrowed money. There are no pay-fors. We will have to pay it back someday. Third would be get the greatest positive effects. Frankly, in an emergency, oftentimes cash is king. Food aid, rental assistance, this stuff goes out immediately. Time is of the essence, so get it out the door. Fourth principle would be emergency legislation should not make permanent changes or create long-term liabilities. Mid-crisis is not the time to re-engineer every program and your society. Finally, transparency and accountability are key. We have to follow the money and make sure it goes where needed And only where needed.
0: We've often talked about how instead of throwing huge pots of cash at problems like disasters, the money then should be either meted out over time or have some triggers or other mechanisms to release the funds when or if necessary, and even have some clawback type of actions. But that's not what's happening here. So, how do we get in this spot, Josh?
1: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with something that former congressman and President Obama's first chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, used to say, you never let a crisis go to waste.
0: In other words, strike while the iron's hot.
1: Exactly. When you have a crisis like the pandemic and the big economic shock that comes from the response to it, lawmakers know that the purse strings are wide open and it's time to roll out new programs. Now, to an extent, that's fine. Again, it's an emergency. We need to respond. And maybe the programs we have don't respond the way they need to respond. So we need to define some new ways to assist people. But when you just have a massive amount of money and you say, figure it out, it doesn't work always. We're a year and a half into this pandemic and its response. And so we know that some things work and some things didn't. So for example, the PPP program, or the Paycheck Protection Program, that was one of these things that it started out, there was not enough money in it and they refilled it again. And they realized, oh, it's not going to people we needed to go to. It's going to massive corporations that weren't supposed to be eligible. So they came back and they changed it. And then money went out again. So they send more money again. That's the kind of thing that you need to look at. You need to say, here's a little bit of funds. Let's figure out what's worked and what didn't work. And we can fill in more money if we need to. And if we can change the program as we move. But what you come down to is that oftentimes there is more cash in the pot than is actually needed to stem the crisis. And so some is left over. And we're seeing that's the reality in many of the responses uh, in other parts of the economy.
0: Sure. I can recall that, you know, more than 10 years after Hurricane Katrina, there was still money that was allocated to that that wasn't spent. I guess in the case with this pandemic and the economic crisis that accompanied it, as bad as it was and the job losses and the economic downturn, there were also new businesses created. People through like the PPP still got paid and spent cash. And so it didn't use up all the money that was allocated to the pandemic response.
1: You're right. And to the tune of more than $100 billion, including unspent unemployment funds from states that ended the benefit early. And that's just one pot of funds. In agriculture, we saw at the beginning of this, there were projections that they were going to lose $50 billion in sales in 2020. And it didn't happen. Obviously, there were some farmers who lost some money, but there were other sectors that actually made more money than they had anticipated because they adapted to the new environment. And they got some amount of assistance, but in reality, the losses weren't there. So now USDA is flush with cash and is having to figure out where to spend that money.
0: Yet again, Josh is able to work in ag policy into a podcast. It wouldn't be a budget watchdog AF with Josh if we didn't talk ag and USDA at some point. So what do lawmakers want to do with that cash? And we kind of hinted to this or even said it a little bit beforehand, but just to remind folks.
1: So unspent COVID funds is one of the supposed so-called pay-fors in the infrastructure package between President Biden and a handful of bipartisan senators. And they claim they will find $80 billion to invest in infrastructure by using those funds.
0: But those funds are, are not a pay-for. They're not an offset. Money that isn't spent for the purpose it was appropriated for should go back to the treasury. It's not their money. They can't just spend it on their biff the so-called bipartisan infrastructure plan. Uh,
1: exactly. I 100% agree with you, but it's like the way lawmakers look at this money is that once that money has gone out the door, there's no way they're ever going to pull it back. So even if the crisis is over or if the need is not there, this money's out there, so they want to spend it on something. Now, I, I'm a big fan of offsets and I think infrastructure needs offsets, but not ones that paper over the deficit or are just completely fake. And this isn't the only thing that's a bad pay for. Things like selling oil from the strategic petroleum reserve, macroeconomic effects from passing the bill. These are retreads we see in pretty much every big package, and they're very speculative. You're making a lot of assumptions for future revenue when you have very real costs up front. And there's always some voodoo in economics, but we need to focus on facts and real
0: figures. And you know, we know that these fake offsets or retread offsets still add to the deficit and ultimately to the debt. Now, Speaking of debt, dear listeners, let me introduce you to a not-so-distant relative of extra money, a warm budget AF welcome, please, for more credit. That's right. We, the American taxpayers, are confronted with the dual reality of needing urgently to increase the nation's debt limit, even while we figure out how to use all that so-called extra money laying around. Josh, we have a complicated fiscal family tree here, don't we? Can we make it work? Help all of us understand the details of how we got here and what comes next.
1: So the debt limit is a simple and complicated thing at the same time. Essentially, there's a limit to the amount of debt the government can accrue. So there is set by law a cap. Once that cap is breached, the government could still spend money, but it cannot take on more debt. It can only spend what revenue comes in. So you're going hand to mouth been put into place because it's an attempt to try to force itself to make decisions without ever having to make a choice running up to a debt cap. Then you would just see perpetual spending and perpetual deficits. And so over time, lawmakers have had to make decisions when coming near to the statutory debt limit. Usually they just raise it. But oftentimes what has happened is it's an opportunity in exchange for increasing the debt limit. The parties that are in power often extract some sort of concession. And that is spending cuts or tax increases, some way of getting the deficits, which add to the debt, getting the deficits in line in order to not have such a high debt. So the last time Washington really addressed the debt ceiling was in the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2019. But instead of raising the debt ceiling, they merely suspended it.
0: What do you mean suspend the debt ceiling? We don't know what the total debt the country can run up is? Well, we
1: will know on July 31st.
0: Okay. Explain to podcast listeners how this works.
1: So in that 2019 budget deal, lawmakers and then President Trump agreed to suspend the debt ceiling until July 31st of 2021. So then whatever the
0: debt is on that
1: day, that's the new debt ceiling.
0: But then if the ceiling is set on July 31st, what happens on August 1st?
1: Well, first of all, that's so far away, who cares? Um, (laughs) That's how Washington thinks. But, But the truth is, as of now, extraordinary measures happen. And so that's where the Secretary of the Treasury can take all kinds of creative accounting mechanisms to extend that time period between when they technically breach the debt ceiling and when you really do. So there's all kinds of things like not pay into the civil service retirement fund. So all those, all that cash that goes into federal workers pay into the retirement. The treasury holds it instead of actually investing it in the retirement. And there's other little things where they can shift money around and basically not pay our bills. Uh, you, the check will be in the mail. It'll just be in the mail later.
0: I've heard that the Republican Study Committee, which is a large group of conservative House members, has said they won't approve a debt limit increase without spending cuts or budget caps. I know the answer. Josh, tell our listeners what the RSC said about raising the debt limit in the BBA, the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2019. Josh? Josh, are you still there?
1: Uh, Sure, Steve. You asked me what they said in 2019, so I said nothing, which is pretty much what they did. Clever. Yeah, it seems like certain things only matter when the guy from your party is in the White House. And for Republicans, that's often deficit and debt. So- At Taxpayers for Common Sense, we like budget caps and certainty, but we can't play a game of chicken when it comes to the debt ceiling. So part of the argument as to why the country should deficit finance infrastructure or say the American families' plan is that it is cheap to borrow. Why is it cheap to borrow? Because the world has faith that Uncle Sam will pay his debts.
0: So you're talking about the full faith and credit of the United States.
1: Absolutely. And historically, we've kept that, you know, and as a nation, we benefit tremendously from our history of paying our bills on time and we benefit from being the reserve currency of choice. People out there want our debt because it is safe. We don't default on our debts. Even when we play chicken, we have not defaulted. But if we default, even on paying ourselves, that faith and that credit evaporates.
0: You said pay ourselves?
1: When you look at the federal debt, the federal debt owed to the public stands at over 22 trillion dollars right now. But there's another about 6 trillion the government owes itself. And this is mainly because of trust funds. So, take social security. For years, more is paid in taxes than is drawn in benefits. So that excess, it doesn't go in some lockbox. It's spent. I mean, the government borrows that. It takes that cash and it spends it on other needs. And so the government is actually borrowing from the trust funds with a promise to pay it back when needed. I can't tell you how many trust funds there are in the government because I don't know. And honestly, the government doesn't really have a good accounting of it. There are some very large ones like Social Security and Medicare, but there's over 100 for various items. But all that excess money that goes in those is borrowed later. And that total borrowing within the government is at about $6 trillion.
0: Wow. And I mean, we pay that back um, or supposedly paying them back with interest um, as well. And so, you know, I think that getting into sort of the insolvency or potential insolvency of the, of the big trust funds like Social Security and Medicare is a subject for another podcast. But what's really at hand here on July 31st is, you know, like you said, the lawmakers are playing chicken with the full faith and credit of the United States. I mean, this is going to have potentially costly consequences that I don't think people really recognize the benefit of the dollar being the big dog, that transactions are conducted in dollars. The price of oil is set in dollars. We can't afford to mess that up and defaulting on our debt will do just that. So, all right, we've laid out the concerns and the problems. How does Congress go about raising the debt limit, Josh?
1: Well, there's really two very simple ways of doing it. One, you can do it through reconciliation when you have a budget resolution. The other is even simpler. You could just vote on it. All they have to do is vote to raise it. Now, voting may not be simple anymore, but that's one of the easiest ways they can do it is to make the choice to raise the debt ceiling. But what they should do at the same time is make some of those tough choices to figure out how to reduce our deficits and get our spending more in line with our actual revenues.
0: Some people have called in the past for eliminating the debt ceiling. You know, it's not something that we've always had as a country. I wish that lawmakers didn't play partisan politics and chicken with it. I think it's too important, but it is an inflection point and it is an opportunity where we can reckon with the fact that we have a debt that is exceeding the size of our GDP, that we have real challenges and then try to tackle those. But instead, when you kind of just run right up to the date, really, there's no option but to extend it and kick that can. You know, back in 2019, August 31st, 2021 seemed a long, long way away, but it's here. And heck, we spent trillions of dollars that we didn't expect to in the interim. And you have this Jekyll and Hyde thing of where we're talking about increasing the ability to borrow more while at the same time, lawmakers are saying that we have extra cash. How can we be nearly $30 trillion in debt and have extra cash? It's just kind of mind boggling in that respect. So so there you have it, podcast listeners. Taxpayers are holding the bag and it really seems to be leaking. Feast and famine, extra money, it's your money. Thanks for listening to Budget Watchdog AF. Subscribe and share. Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We're reading the bills, monitoring the earmarks, and highlighting those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers.